The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com a a portal in space to the you know quote-unquote underverse where the physical laws of the universe no longer apply and death has no meaning and then came out of it as a weird pain addicted cult and then they land on planets and you get the option of of convert or die cake or death there was a podcast called the sequel cast they talked about movies and they talked about something else called boobies the sequel cast it's the sequel cast it's the sequel cast www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. This is a podcast where we talk about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of things. This is a busy episode. We'll be talking about the movie Chronicles of Riddick, so far the last uh, real movie in the whole Riddick saga, as it were. And we'll also be touching on a uh, direct-to-video cartoon called Dark Fury that's about Riddick, and talk a little bit about the uh, the video game Escape from Butcher Bay and Assault on Dark Athena. With me is Thrasher, who just hung up on Skype. I'm sure he'll jump on later. <laughs> and uh, we have a, a special guest, Kane uh, Threebo. He is the host of the uh, Animu Cast, a podcast about, what, current anime stuff, I guess? How do you describe it? Uh, Animu Cast is about, basically covers anything uh, anime or manga. Most of it's mainly news and you know we talk about a lot of kind of what's going on in the industry and things like that but uh it's mainly just three friends bullshitting about anime that's cool i haven't seen uh you know i i was in anime a lot in college but or into it i should say i wasn't in any anime (laughs) (laughs) let's get those straight yeah in case anyone is confused (laughs) so yeah but um you know since then let me add. Hold on, let me try adding Thrasher. Oh, wait, there he is. Will, are you there? Showing that he's on. Shows you how I can't use Skype. <laughs> oh, Skype. It loves Always it. there for messing stuff up. Yep, yep, but it uh, it works. It does the job. Does does a body good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. No. But, it's caused um, me to rage and throw things a few times. Yeah. Ah, okay, let me add him on. I was clicking on the wrong thing. <laughs> that might help if you call him back. Yeah. Will. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, I was just talking to special guest King Threebo about the Animu cast, which talks about anime news. and uh... Now, is it mainly about current shows that are on in Japan right now that are fan-subbed, or is that not always the case? Um. Well, we usually will... Um discuss uh what we try and do is talk about uh one of the current things that's running in japan at the uh, you know um and whether we like it or hate it and what's wrong with it and all that kind of fun discussion uh but sometimes you know we like to delve into the old stuff and i mean we just try and keep it it's not so much like super focused or anything it's just you know we get together we have a very loose format and just kind of kick back and talk about our hobby now, I've heard there's a, a show, tell me if this is true, it's a Gundam show called Gundam Unicorn. 
Yes. Is it good? Gundam Unicorn is pretty good. It it starts off really slow. Uh, the the problem with Gundam Unicorn, at least that I think the problem with it is, is that uh, it's released as an OVA format. So it's released in single. Uh, each DVD or Blu-ray that comes out is one 55-minute episode. And the problem I think they've done with Gundam Unicorn is it costs so much money for each episode. Like, mm-hmm. the Blu-rays on Amazon are like, I think, 45 or $50 a piece Shit. for one 55-minute episode, which it just is not the norm for the industry now. No. And... Uh, so it's already got that stacked against it. Now, granted, the show, I mean, it's beautiful. The animation's great. Uh, it's a really interesting story. It's actually based off a really popular manga uh, that came out in Japan, I want to say, like 10, 15 years ago, maybe more. And so, I mean, as for, like, the Gundam fans, like myself being, you know, psychotic Gundam fan, uh, I mean, we're you know, I was really hyped up for this, and it's delivered, but... I don't think it's delivered to the mass market. I think it's only kind of delivered to the niche market. Why is it called Unicorn? Well, uh, that's because the the titular Gundam, the Gundam Unicorn, has actually a, uh, you know, most Gundams have the kind of that V thing on their head. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, in in this, in Gundam Unicorn, the Gundam, it uh, it has a a kind of a boosted mode that it goes into and when it's in its regular mode that v actually comes together into a kind of a horn that comes out the top of its head and then when it goes into boost mode the uh the v separates into the kind of the classic uh v shape that you get on the gundam heads i see um yeah just a design choice i mean really that's that's all it is thrasher do you have an anime related question to ask uh king Trebo? <laughs> well actually i <laughs> I, I suppose so. In the in the past ten years, what anime have you gotten the most enjoyment out of? The past ten years? That's a big uh, span of that's time. A, that's a huge... I, I realize <laughs> it's a big span of time, but there's like a huge gap in my anime experience within that sure. frame of time. So you may very well expose me to something that I'm unaware of. Well, what I'm gonna what I'll do is I'll, I'll give you the top out of a couple genres, just and go real quick. Um, you know, I'm a huge mecha fan, so I'm really into, you know, shows with giant robots. Uh, so, you know, things from Gundam. Gundam Double O came out a few years ago. It was pretty good. It's a little on the emo side sometimes, but very good animation, lots of robots shooting each other. I mean, if you want to talk about, like, the best mecha show that's come out in the past ten years, for me it's tied. There's a, There was Gurren Logan, which is a, uh, a mecha show that embodies everything about old-school 80s super robot mecha that I love, where it's, you know, the more powerful, the more angry the user gets, the more powerful the robot becomes. And so people are screaming and yelling and punching each other with robots, and things are happening that make no sense. And, I mean, it's basically just this huge homage to old-school super robot anime, but it keeps its own at the same time, and it has its own character. And it's one of the, and it's one of those shows that you watch, and at the end you're just like, fuck yes, that was awesome! So... <laughs> I mean that that's a great show. Uh, there's a great cerebral mecha out called, that came out uh, a few years ago called Code Geese, um, which is there's two seasons of that. Uh, it focuses more on kind of uh, I mean there's definitely robots and stuff, but it focuses a lot on political uh, intrigue and kind of uh, a lot of political subterfuge and people screwing each other over. And at the same time, there's giant robots shooting each other. It's a great show. I would highly recommend it to anyone that likes mecha. Um, if, you know, getting past robots punching each other, I mean, there's always, you know, there's the great, uh, you know, romance anime. There's a That's a huge genre. Uh, one of the best shows to come out in recent years was Toradora, uh, which is a, 
it would take me forever to explain the plot, but very basic. There, it's just uh, just kind of a high school slice of life slash romance show. Very entertaining, very good. Uh, God, what else? Uh, if you want something psychotic, uh, Detroit Metal City was a short uh, OVA series uh, that came out a few years ago. That's about uh, Japanese indie death metal. <laughs> huh. It's in- and it's incredibly funny. Um, I'll stop because I could go on for hours and hours. Yeah. So I'll stop, but there's just kind of a few things to throw out there that's uh, some good stuff to watch. Does the Animu Cast have a website? Uh, yeah, uh, we have our basic website at. Uh, AnimuCast.com, which is basically just a nice, simple, easy place to get all our episodes. Uh, we also we also post on a couple different websites. Uh, we're part of the Anime Digital Dysfunction Network, which is a network of independent podcasts that all kind of come together, and uh, we all post on uh, our own, the own site at addnetwork.net, and uh, we also post up on uh, WatchPlayRead.com, which is actually a site that I work for and write for and uh, do the podcast on that too. So plug in myself. And what is watch play read about? Watch play read is a kind of a generic geek website. Uh, we, the idea is that, uh, you know, we kind of sure. I like to play video games. And I like to watch movies, but I also, you know, I like to read comics. So it all just kind of comes together. You know, the idea is that I post mainly on the site, for instance, about anime. So it's basically anything geek related. We just post there. It's just this nice little community. And uh, we have a good time. Cool. Well, I don't know if uh, we're going to be talking about Chronicles of Riddick. That's a movie I did not find I had a good time watching. But um, we're, we're going to be talking about that. Chronicles of Riddick was a sequel to Pitch Black, but it came out several year, uh, four years after the original film. So uh, Chronicles of Riddick came out in 2004. Pitch Black came out in 2000. And it was uh, written and directed by David Tuhi, who uh, also wrote and directed the original Pitch Black. And it, where to begin with this movie? I don't even know. <laughs> it, it it has such a larger sense of scale of an epic sort of quality than Pitch Black ever was trying to go for. Yeah, Pitch Black really was an intimate sci-fi thriller. Um, the way I understood it, when, when Chronicles of Riddick was announced and, and production was, was ramping up, I remember I was reading an interview, I believe it was in, in uh, the old Starlog magazine, actually, and they explained, uh, David Tui explained that his goal was to make the Chronicles of Riddick the Fellowship of the Rings to Pitch Black's The Hobbit. <laughs> and I would say this, this movie takes an honest stab at that. I mean, it really commits. Huh. Yeah, I could see that. I think, yeah, when you put it that way, it makes that makes sense because The Hobbit was also a more intimate sort of story with not so many characters, and Lord of the Rings had a lot more characters, a lot more locations. Um, that being said, I think you can jump into Chronicles of Riddick without seeing Pitch Black and not be too lost. I don't know. I think you would be kind of lost. A little bit with some of the characters. Yeah, especially the relationship between Riddick and Tombs. I mean, that you just don't get that without watching Pitch Black first. Hmm. Yeah, you, you want to be in a position where you understand why this character is a badass and why you should root for him. Otherwise, he just kind of seems like a douchebag that punches everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> punches or stabs people, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's fun to watch Vin Diesel stab people, but, you know... The Pitch Black gives kind of that background that you just kind of have to have for Riddick. I think the beginning of Riddick is unintentionally hilarious because it's uh, Riddick on an ice planet 
with like a huge mountain man beard. And um, it just looks very silly because in everything Vin Diesel in, he always looks the same. He always has the shaved head and clean shaven. See, you do kind of break the iconic uh, Riddick look, but let's not forget before before you get Riddick, you know, running through the ice planet, uh, <laughs> UV six, as it's called. Uh, I don't know how, how the designation system works. That the it, the film does begin with kind of one of the sins of science fiction films. It opens with a voiceover narration explaining what the hell is going on. <laughs> Never a good start. Well, and not it just that. Not going to work here. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say Dune or Doom? Dune, D-U-N-E. D-U-N-E, not D-O-O-M, okay. Uh, I don't think anything worked for Doom. <laughs> yeah, the one off the video game, right? Uh, yes. You know, and the other thing about narration, sometimes it can be okay. The problem is, and other science fiction movies do this too, is you introduce a bad guy who you proceed not to see for another, oh, about 30 minutes. That really confused me because it it starts off introducing the Necromongers as, you know, this great superpower that could destroy everything. And then there's no Necromongers for a while. Right. And, uh, you know, when you already have action and sort of a conflict going on with uh, Riddick being chased around by tombs, so you could have introduced that a bit more elegantly. Or, I mean, how you have the Necromongers attacking the villagers on uh, Helian Prime later on, so... Yeah, but narration, it just seems like it's explaining things that get explained later on anyway, so. Yeah, I guess the other thing that kind of that kind of turns me off is that, well, I guess this is just the, the, the thing about, like, uh, Pitch Black is, you know, is a legitimate science fiction movie. No matter how crazy things get in Pitch Black, you can really envision a straightforward scientific explanation for this. But once you get into Chronicles of Riddick, it really does turn into a fantasy. There's apparently a portal to, I guess, hell and outer mm. space the Necromongers can fly through, and they can suck souls out of people's body, which is kind of one of those things. It's like it's it's something that bothers me. That bothers me if this is supposed to be a science fiction film. If you can suck a soul out of a body, that means you can prove scientifically that the soul exists. But could you imagine what would happen if you could scientifically prove that the soul exists, how that would affect people? You'd have necromongers. Well, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it seems like a logical conclusion to me. Yeah, I think one of the basic – the plot of this movie is kind of complicated, and I'm not sure how we want to tackle this. Yeah, But one, on. uh, one basic thing about this – is in this movie they explain Riddick is part of a, a race called the the Furians. And, Fury's in the name. Yeah, They're Fury's in the name, and yeah, Riddick's a badass. But I think an issue like that is, is this a planet full of people with shaved heads and goggles just like Riddick? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's something kind of like stuck with me. Is like, okay, well, does that mean Riddick's been an alien this whole time? Or does that oh, mean that uh, man, humankind was colonizing space? Some humans colonized a planet, named it Furia, and after a while we're called Furians. And we're warriors. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, And it's also, part of the thing in Pitch Black I thought that made Riddick pretty cool is he didn't explain himself very much. He just was sort of mysterious. And the, if you explain, there's a lot of other, ra- you know, a lot of, he's part of this race that I guess presumably has a lot of, like, warrior people on it. That makes him less special and a bit 
less unique. It's a little bit like the midichlorian problem with the uh, the Star Wars prequel. Well, right. you know what the the real problem for me is, and this this doesn't ju- this bothers me almost every time it comes up. I really don't like prophecies in movies, but apparently there's this prophecy that one day a Furian will fuck up the Necromongers. So, of course, the Necromongers try to wipe out the Furians, but, of course, at least one survived, that one being Riddick. The problem is, once you introduce a prophecy into a movie, well, now it's destined, and the hero's choices, in my mind, just don't matter as much. You know, well, we know Riddick's going to kick their asses now, not because his name is on the title of the movie, but because a wizard says he has to. A wizard did it. Yeah, a wizard did it. <laughs> That's pretty I much like what you get. Because they remove initiative and and free will from the characters. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I didn't. Re- I never really thought of it that way with this movie. But with the way you know, when you bring it up like that, it really does kind of take some of the oomph out of it. Yeah, like I like in Pitch Black, there were moments where I legitimately thought Riddick was going to die. Never happened in this movie. I not, I never felt worried for him because I never felt he was legitimately threatened. It's very true. I do appreciate at least how this movie does carry over characters from Pitch Black. You have Keith David as Imam. Uh, although he, what, he has a bounty on Riddick, but it's just an excuse to get him to New Mecca on Helium Prime. Is that it? Yeah. It's kind of confusing. Well, it, well, I guess yeah, that's kind of convoluted because you know he wants to talk to Riddick. So rather than try to smuggle like a you know send like a, a hire a tracker to track him down and send a message, he gets a bounty put on Riddick's head, knowing enough about the psychology of Riddick that Riddick would come to track him down afterwards. Yes. Like Riddick never seemed like the type to go for revenge in Pitch Black, but it seems like in this film he does become the type to come back for revenge. Well, I, I think part of that is because of all the backstory. Because it's not just Pitch Black that's a backstory. It's also, you know, the game as well, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay. Even though I think technically didn't that come out after the movie? I think it came out around the same time the movie was in theaters, yeah. But, I mean, there's so much... The One of the problems with this series that I've always had trying to explain to people is that there's no there's no way to really, like, say, okay, well, first you watch Pitch Black. Then you go play this video game. Then you watch the movie. Then you go play the second video. Like, it's just, it's so all over the place, you know what I mean? Oh, and by the way, Dark Fury kind of fits in there somewhere in between Pitch Black and the game. Yeah, because like, doesn't it go like game, Dark Fury animation, second game, Chronicles of Riddick? It's Pitch Black, then I think Dark Fury picks up right as, right as Pitch Black ends where yeah. they take off. And then but Escape from Butcher Bay is after Dark Fury. And then I think Assault on uh, Dark, Dark Athena. Athena happens, and then is this movie. So I think this movie is the last piece of fiction in the whole set. But, um, yeah, it's so confusing to try and remember how all this kind of fits together. <laughs> and well, I get a lot of it's the fact that they were just you know trying to push the license. But uh, especially, you know, when Escape from Butcher Bay came out, it was such a great video game. So... You know, it's like they're trying to fit story in where they have to, and it gets kind of confusing sometimes. Oh, and actually, speaking of other uh, uh, odd oddball things, um, it, we've already—at least I've, I've made that comparison—that that this film is trying to be the Fellowship of the Rings to mm-hmm. to the to the Pitch Black Hobbit. 
Well, it even has its own Ian McKellen as Gandalf. In this case, Dame Judy Dench as Ariel. <laughs> sure, although I like the special effect when she can sort of like vanish and come back into an area. That sort of thing where she kind of blows into an area is kind of neat. But she is, you know, like the Basil Exposition in Austin Powers. Except it's not supposed to be funny, but she comes on and explains a lot of backstory. It says something mysterious, and because she's British, we're supposed to take it a bit more seriously. And because she's British, she's magical. <laughs> All British people are magical. Yeah. Well, it's like she she she's for, apparently from a, a race called the Elementals, and apparently is made of solid air. But they don't explain this at all. Yeah, it's just kind of you're supposed to go. Okay, elemental, sure. At, at no point it's 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 because it's the only 100 percent confirmed alien in the film. But then they don't want us to think about it because it's not like Star Wars where you don't have to think about the aliens because they're omnipresent. Mm. This film has one non-human, but then it doesn't want us to think about them. Yeah, I mean, so in this movie, I guess trying to get back to the plot. Riddick goes on uh, the city of New Mecca on Helium Prime and confronts Imam, who's a a um, Muslim. Is he a priest or no? Let's he, I think he'd be a cleric. A cleric. Uh, yeah. Well, what's the difference between a cleric and a priest when you get down to it? No, sure. When you get to the nitty gritty, it's. Yeah. Well, actually, I take that back. No, a, a a a cleric is a healer caste. A priest is kind of an ecclesiastical bard class. The um, role-playing game right. reference. <laughs> but anyway, shortly after Riddick lands a new mecha, the uh, necromongers start killing a lot of civilians. And is it because they're just trying to get rid of Riddick? Or... To get rid of Riddick and because they're evil. Yeah, they, they don't really explain it other than that they just like to blow crap up, I guess. Like, that's pretty much it. I guess I don't explain what the hell the necromongers are. There are apparently some people who went through a, a, a portal in space to the, you know, quote-unquote underverse, where the physical laws of the universe no longer apply and death has no meaning, and then came out of it as a weird, pain-addicted cult, and then they land on planets, and you get the option of, of convert or die, cake or death. <laughs> but, I mean, I look at the, the armor of the necromongers, and I think it looks... Pretty reminiscent of uh, the armor of the uh, Urukai, of the Oryx and stuff in Word of the Rings. I think you definitely get a bit of that. That it's kind of got that that cold steel kind of look to uh-huh. it. Yeah, especially of, in in space. Sure. You know? And a lot of that detail in there. In fact, one of the actors from Lord of the Rings, Carl Urban, uh, is in this as uh, one of the bad guys. Yeah, Commander Baker. Yeah, and he was also the lead in the movie Doom. D O O M. So. That ties back to that reference. (laughs) Speaking of what the Necromonger stuff looks like, their spaceship, like, on the outside, looks like a giant dagger with a triple tomb head hilt thing. And then on the inside is, like, this crazy gothic cathedral. Very interesting set design on that that stuff. I mean, it kind of gave them that... I mean, it definitely gave them the air of, like, weird and creepy... I mean, that that definitely worked, and you were supposed to feel that way about them. But it also kind of made them seem a little too, I don't know if this is exactly the right word, but a little, like, flamboyant or a little, like, Uh look at us, we're creepy sort of thing (laughs) going on. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah, like I think the costumes at the set designs were, were kind of interesting, but uh, I'm not sure if it was the acting style or that you never had any bad guy that was that... You don't have any characters in this that were as interesting as characters in Pitch Black. I guess I'll put it that way. That's true. And I half expected them to all have British accents because we all know that everyone evil in space sure. has a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean... It... I'd like to see at least one, just once, an evil Dutchman in space. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess there was an evil... Uh, was that an evil Dutchman in uh, Austin Powers 3, Goldfinger? Or, not, yes. Like, not Goldfinger. Damn it. Gold member. Gold member. Gold member. That, that wasn't a science fiction film. That was a no. spy comedy. But he was still an evil Dutchman. I'll give Matt that much. Yeah. Oh, okay. That. Half credit. <laughs> so, it's like a C minus. Be done one of those episodes where we talk about a lot of other movies. <laughs> we, we have a lot Stay to on target. Stay on target. Very good. Red five copy. <laughs> So with um, with Riddick, these uh, necromongers attack the village. No, it's a city. Damn. So, but yeah, it's a whole developed city. So it's a whole developed yeah. city. But you don't really give a shit. Um, there's a bit of a plot. <laughs> there's a, there's a this bit is of, true. Yeah, but and, and while this is going on, they try to develop the bad guys a little bit. With you got the necromonger, necromonger Commander Vako, who's played by Carl Urban, we mentioned before. And he, there's kind of a Lady Macbeth thing going on between him and uh, his his wife, Dame Vaco, who's trying to, I'm not seduce him because they're, I guess, married, but she's trying to convince him to, you know, outright assassinate the uh, leader of the Necromongers so he can be the next one. But he seems to be very timid about it, and the plot doesn't really go, like, it doesn't go anywhere. Not for a while. <laughs> Now, when she flirts with Riddick, too, but then Riddick sort of says, you smell nice, and that's <laughs> that's all that happens with that. Well, so, Riddick's been in and out of prison most of his life. I think if a woman did start, if I was in and out of prison most of my life and had mirror eyes, and a woman started hitting on me, I probably, probably would compliment her on her scent. Mm-hmm. He raises a good point. <laughs> Thank you, Senator. Indeed. But enough about how Thandie Newton smells. <laughs> Actually, you bring up you bring up. Uh, you, I'm glad you mentioned her name, Thandie Thandie Newton. That's the name of the actress, yeah. Yeah, Thandie Newton is the actress. But then there's also an Alexa Devalos. And are those not the two most sci-fi names you've ever heard an actual human being have? Well, sure. And speaking of Alexa Devalos, we can go into that. She plays Jack in this movie, but it's not the same actress that played the character of Jack in the original movie. And, um, She's grown up now, so it's okay, or something like that. I from, guess. From what I could read, is they really wanted um, the original actress. I can't think of her name right now because I'm too lazy to click a link, link on uh, Wikipedia. We mentioned her last week. We mentioned her last week. You can listen to that one. I'm drinking. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, so, in this one, it's a different actress, and I really don't think you miss that much because the character is several years older. And while I thought the actress that played Jack in the first one did a good job, I don't know. It's not like this is a sequel that takes place right after the first one, where not many. Which is unclear when it takes place. That's true too. Yeah. So, um, did you think Alexa Devalos did a good job as Jack, or I thought she was fine? I don't know. She just fights people and is a bitch. 
Yeah, they don't really develop her character more than angry and likes to stab people, which seems to be a common theme in this film. <laughs> I I liked I liked Jack up until the end of the film, but we'll get into that when we get to the end of the film. <laughs> I think it's interesting you got a a good scene of dialogue between Jack and Riddick where at some point that doesn't happen in this movie, but you think they could have put it in this movie because it would have been important. Riddick abandons Jack, and Jack, you know, wants to do anything to track Riddick back because uh, she looks up to Riddick so much, and that was a huge part of Pitch Black. And she tried to get the same eye implants as Riddick, and it turns out they don't exist because he's a Furian, and uh, I think if they went into a bit more of their relationship... Wait, they don't exist because he was a Furian? Well, they don't say that, but she says, she says like, you lied. I couldn't get those eye implants you had to see in the dark. And Riddick doesn't say anything. But you might infer that Riddick has the ability to see, to have night vision because he's a Furian. But then why the whole story in the first film about how he got the shine job? I don't know. I'm just supposing. But Well, and then you could also take the story from Escape from Butcher Bay where he, where a shaman magically gives him eye shine. Weird. Yep. <laughs> so it contradicts it's, so it's even more magic. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, even more fantasy there. In fact, I remember playing through the game the first time and going, "The hell! I thought it pitch black." He says he gets the the job in the in the prison, and the and as I'm watching on the screen, the guy's like magic eyes or something like that. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, huh? Yeah, it's very different. So they've contradicted themselves three times in one series, if you count the uh, video game. <laughs> Retcons galore. Yeah, yeah, it's a running yeah. gag. <laughs> it's like the Joker in the Dark Knight. He makes up a different story every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, but we don't know when when Riddick does get away from Hellion Prime. Uh, he he, he go, where the place where he meets Jack is the prison planet Crematoria. Uh. Yeah. Why is it called Crematoria? Because the daylight side of the planet so, is on fire. So much fire! <laughs> I mean, yeah, Crematoria and Necromonger, these aren't genius names here. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I, I do think the movie improves once he goes on Crematoria. There's some neat action scenes uh, in the prison. Well, and Riddick trying to escape from prison is always interesting. That's why they made two video games about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm not even joking. Like, that is what makes it entertaining is how he gets out, you know, and how he figures out a way out of there. So not only is he, you know, this giant muscly badass with super Jesus eyes or whatever, but he can also figure out how to break out of super prisons that are on fire. So, you know, it's pretty cool, I guess, I- if you're into that sort of thing. Actually, speaking of how he gets out of prison, though, I do want to comment on the way he gets in. The the starship, the ship that brings him to Crematoria, this is like my favorite example of just crazy-ass technology, I think, in any recent science fiction film. The ship that's going to bring him uh, to the planet, it's not, like a, it, it's not apparently like a vertical takeoff and landing ship. It goes down on a runway, but it never breaks. So what does this ship do to stop as it comes down the runway? It ejects two engine pods on tethers. Oh, I forgot just about that. Blast <laughs> and turn on rockets, and the rockets kind of... Create pull against the ship until it stops. Like retro rockets that shoot out from it. Yeah, it's like, 
I mean, it looks cool, and in a sick way, like, I can understand the physics of it, but at the same time, that must suck, because you know there's a guy on the ship whose job it is, every time they land, to go out and reel those things back in and remount them in their launched tubes. <laughs> It and seems like, like a very inefficient design. What? Yeah, and like, and like, what if only one one of the rockets fires and like you spin off in some crazy direction, or they're not pointing the right direction? So once they turn <laughs> on, you have two chunky rockets flying back towards your ship. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had two chunky rockets flying <laughs> <laughs> flying towards me. It's an awful you, joke. You were pretty uh, drunk at your wedding, Uncle Milkshake. I'm not drunk now. I'm having a beer. What, is that? what does my wedding have to do with anything? That was the last time you had two chunky rockets flying towards you. <laughs> uh, that could be taken a few different ways. Sure. Okay. Um, they were probably both mine. <laughs> Take that how you will. Yeah. So after Could the, either after... of those... Chunky rockets be guests on this podcast? Who knows? After the chunky Find rocket, after the chunky rocket landing, Riddick gets in prison. Isn't there very long, and escapes, and um, some prisoners with, with some prisoners and with uh, with Jack and Till, of course. And they're running along. Oh yeah, but this is the other thing. Jack is going by the name Kyra. Yeah, that's such. Jack is a badass name. She should have stuck with that. She's a girl now with girl parts. So it's she's a girl who pretended she was a guy who's now pretend who now is back to being a girl again. And don't forget the monsters can smell her menstruation. Yeah, that was a big yeah, that was a big part of the climax <laughs> of Pitch Black. Yeah. Uh, surprised they didn't sell Pitch Black tampons to cash it on that. <laughs> oh lord. Keep the monsters from sniffing you. <laughs> we had you on sooner it's <laughs> a good question <laughs> keeps the monsters from sniffing sniffing your cooter god okay. forbid so in, a, well, actually, in an episode of sequel cast where we talk about keeping monsters from sniffing one's cooter you can tell we're talking about a quality quality film a sci-fi epic oh yes. the- but speaking of sniffing, okay, here's another example of crazy-ass technology. What? <laughs> uh, there, no, no. There are, like, these, like, the necromongers have these, like, cybernetically augmented people who are, like, their bloodhounds. It's like they have their noses open and they wear these giant lenses on their face that oh, yeah. apparently allows them to smell people's biosignatures. I never thought about it as smelling. I just thought it was a like a machine that could do the same thing that Riddick could do or he could see in the dark. Well, like, everything I see about them makes me think that it's somehow related to scent. But if you want my crazy sci-fi explanation, like, it's enhanced sight, but they need to run, but all the extra information the sensor's gathering has to go into your brain somehow. So they just reroute it through the neur- neurons responsible for scent, which is why they all have those weird blossomed open noses. You know, I don't think the people making the movie thought about it that much. <laughs> it was more like, how can we make these people creepy and gothic? Or something. <laughs> yeah, um, so I mean, you get a lot more action towards. Uh, the end of this movie, and I think it's probably my favorite sequence of events in the movie, 
is once they're out of the uh, prison on Crematoria, they're running on the planet surface. Yeah, they're trying to stay ahead of the wall of fire. Right. That was kind of cool, I'm not going to lie. ahead of the wall of fire, and you, later on you have this action sequence that's between Riddick, um, what is it, like the prison guards and the cremator- and the uh, necromongers? It's some, like, three-way yeah, battle. Yeah, come to the planet to kill him because they think he's part of the prophecy. I mean, they're good. They're good action sequences. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I like all the action sequences. I just don't necessarily like how they integrate with the rest of the movie. And so, and then, oh, oh, like, like actually, when, when they're running from the wall of fire and, like, one of the characters ends up falling behind, and, like, Riddick goes to rescue him. So what does Riddick do? He douses himself. He douses himself in water from a canteen, so I guess he, like, has a few extra seconds to rescue the person. But all I can think during that scene is when you have Vin Diesel pouring the water over himself while he's getting all sweaty is, this scene's for the ladies. (laughs) Well, and then there was that whole, uh, that whole part during that fight sequence about the the purifier was his name or something like that. The guy who's, I'm actually a Furian, but I'm evil and... Now I'm going to walk into the sunlight because that's cool. It kind it kind of upsetting because like if if you're if you, he must know about the prophecy and he's probably near the head necromonger the Lord Marshal a lot. Right? Why has he never bothered killing him? That's a, it. That's a, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And um, <laughs> the version of this movie I saw uh, was the director's cut, which I think is like 15 minutes longer. But, yeah, that's the version I have. But uh, a lot of that footage is apparently these scenes of, I don't remember the character's name, but Riddick keeps on having these visions of a woman telling him he's a Furian and this other guy is a Furian. But she's giving you information that you learn five minutes later in these other scenes. Yeah, that's like it's exposition that we've had in the voiceover narration and that we've also gotten from Judy Dench, and I think some of the necromongers mentioned it too. So, I mean, that, that Riddick has visions is kind of interesting, but maybe if they would have done just the visions and not the narration. Well, what about when Riddick has energy powers? What about it? Yeah. <laughs> what about it? <laughs> he, doesn't he kind of, like, blow up and kill everyone and almost kill himself? Yeah, one of the added scenes in the director's cut, he, like, releases an energy shockwave during a fight, I, I believe, when he's fighting the Necromongers yeah. on Crematoria. The Wrath of the Furians, or something like that. Or the Blast of the Furians, or something of the Furians. Furian Hadouken. <laughs> exactly. Some sort of charged energy blast, because this movie wasn't ridiculous enough. Sure. <laughs> well, they get the, the, the Lord Marshall has has crazy powers. He has, like, he can... He's that warping or whatever. Sword. And he has, like, super, pa- super speed. Yeah short-range teleporting or whatever it was where he kind of, like, warps around. So this is... Well, if you want me to, to have, like, a zany explanation... Uh, yes, please, I'm loving him. He doesn't actually have super speed because apparently traveling through the Underverse gives you superpowers, but, but this is what I'm thinking. He doesn't actually have super speed or teleportation. He can enter a quantum state where he can reposition himself and then collapse the waveform allowing him to be in that location, which is why you get that weird blur, but even when he's doing that weird blur, he's still clearly fully cognizant of what's going on around him. Ooh. Now there's some science for you. Yes, quantum states. I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) I said science. Oh, well, that works for me. You were just blinded with science. Uh, Blinded with the power of science? 
Good heavens, Miss Yakamoto. <laughs> You're beautiful. So at the very end of the film, Riddick goes back to Helian Prime, and it's sort of a showdown between him and the lead uh, necromonger. And the Lord Marshal. The Lord Marshal, but at the same, at some point during the the mayhem on Crematoria, um, Jack gets captured and gets turned into a necromonger. Yeah, because well, that which hasn't is, been done. That's before. that's when I nope. stop liking Jack because once she's a necromonger, all she does is stands around trying to look creepy. She's not actually creepy; <laughs> she's just trying really hard to look it. You know what I was annoyed about it is. They kind of set up this thing, though, maybe she's going to fight Riddick and try to kill Riddick, and, oh, she's faking it the whole time and, you know, tries to kill and, you know, tries to kill the head guy. But if that's the case, are all necromongers faking it the whole time, and they could just go and try and kill the lead guy whenever they wanted? Apparently, because people seem to be able to break the whole mind control really easily. Because it happens multiple times. I mean, maybe if the movie would have shown just a little bit of the Underverse or some... something... Or exactly what more. it means to be a necromonger. Yeah, maybe some like, I don't know, some scene where you get to see a guy get converted or something. I don't know. Yeah, that might have helped. Uh, the ending with all the teleporting and the fighting is okay, but I do think the ending of this movie is very ambitious. And if they do a Riddick sequel, how you would take off from this ending, I have no idea. Uh, that actually, I gotta say that I love this ending. Uh, I'm a huge Robert Howard, huge Conan the Barbarian so why fan. Don't you explain the ending. Okay, well, so there's a huge fight. Lots of people betray lots of other people, but the short of it is the Necromongers have had this thing that you keep what you kill, which, which you know gets brought up during the soul stealing. Well, Riddick lands a blow on the Lord, lands the killing blow on the Lord Marshal, and it's really gruesome. He just drives a knife to the Lord Marshal's head and then breaks the hilt off. Uh, so the Lord Marshal dies, and Riddick is, like, really exhausted from the fight, and he just flops down on the nearest chair. And then all the, but, you know, you keep what you kill, so all the necromongers then just all bow down before him, and then he realizes he's flopped down on the Lord Marshal's command throne, uh, and that's when Riddick realizes, holy shit, I killed the Lord Marshal. I thereby have become the ruler of the necromongers. I'm the, the necromonger-in-chief. And and he kind of like gets this lamenting look on his face, and that's where the film ends. And it's it's like something out of Conan the Barbarian. They, I just imagine like Conan kills the evil king and suddenly finds himself ruling the cult. Yeah, uh, I, I love the ending as well. I thought that was just... I mean, it... As much as this movie doesn't make sense, it keeps repeating that one thing about you keep what you kill multiple times through the film, and at the end it all kind of comes to fruition, and it's like, well, you you keep what you kill, we said it the entire movie. And, yeah, I mean, it's great. And I and it's really cool, you're like, oh, that's just neat, <laughs> for lack yeah, of a better like, way of expressing that. It's that's a just blatant, neat. It's a blatant setup for a sequel that I actually don't mind because it just puts me in awe, and I can only imagine, oh wow, where do they go from here? Mm-hmm. And then they never went anywhere because the movie was technically a flop. Sure, it cost a, a lot of money to make and didn't make so much back. I think, uh, and you know, one thing they did when it came out on video later on that I, I worked at a, uh, I've worked at a few different movie stores in my life, and I worked at one 
when they came out with a box set on DVD called the Riddick Trilogy. And we had all these people come and going, oh, my God, they made a third one. Oh, I, I love these Riddick movies so much. But it turns out all it was was Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, and a, a th- the 30-minute cartoon Dark Fury. And that's not really a trilogy of movies. I don't... Maybe two movies and a short film or, like, a bonus feature. Yeah. yeah. But the latest... I mean, they've been trying to get more Riddick movies off the ground. I think, you know, early this year there was something on um, Vin Diesel's Facebook account where he said, oh, we're going to do a new one. Here's a photo from some places we want to film it. But I... So who knows? Maybe they will if they do good for them. Uh, I well, it looks it looks like it's moving forward. Vin, Vin Diesel has been very public that they're now apparently working on a new movie. Yeah, he's a huge. I mean, he's if anything, he'll probably put a bunch of money into it as a producer or something because I know he's people ask him about it a bunch, and he's always said, "I want to do another one. We're trying to get another one up off the ground. You know, we're trying to work on it." So it's definitely something that he wants to do, and well, he's very invested in. As much of a mixed bag as Chronicles of Riddick, Riddick is, uh, I, I will admit I, I do. I don't really think it's a good movie, but I respect its ambition and I do enjoy watching it. Don't necessarily enjoy listening to it, but I enjoy <laughs> watching it. And with with Hollywood and the major studios reviving and bringing back and repeating so many tired, old, shitty ideas, this is a franchise I wouldn't mind being brought back. I think there's still places to go with it. Oh, totally. You know, we've been ripping on this movie con- the whole time, but I was going to say sometimes that, you know, as much as we rip on it, I still love this movie. I, it's one of those things that's just fun to watch, even if you just kind of laugh at it sometimes, to how dumb it can be. But at the same time, like, I love the Riddick series, even though I recognize how derp it can be sometimes. <laughs> It's still just a fun series, you know. Yeah, I mean, the ending of this movie is certainly one of those endings where it makes you want to watch the whole movie over again and pay more attention to it. And I mean, they paid a oh, yeah. lot of a lot of detail to the the set design and the costumes and the little nooks and crannies in this movie. That I think it's something that could benefit with repeated viewings. The first time I ever saw this was, you know, just for this episode of the sequel cast, and I think it's all it's all pretty interesting to watch. Really? This this is the first time you saw it? Yeah, the first time I've seen either Pitch Black or Chronicles of Riddick was for the sequel wow. cast. I had heard of the movies. I had had someone recommend Pitch Black a lot to me in particular. But for whatever reason, I think maybe because I saw a Fast and the Furious and wasn't impressed with Vin Diesel, I didn't sit down with uh, Pitch Black. What, uh, when did you first see it? Three both. Hmm? Oh, um, let's see. I saw... I saw Pitch Black like a few weeks before this movie before this movie came out in theaters because a friend of mine was a big fan of Pitch Black and I'd never heard of it and he said, "Well, let's watch it and then we'll go watch Chronicles of Riddick in the theater." So we just kind of watched both of them like over a weekend or something. So I actually saw it when it came out. Nice. I actually saw this on a date. <laughs> a fantastic date film. Well, no, it wasn't it wasn't a bad date at all it was actually her idea because she was a she's a just she was generally a, a vin diesel fan oh. and you know and we, and we both win we both enjoyed it although like i'm i'm i i guess in a lot of ways i am a real movie snob when i go to a movie like i like always try to find the best seat where like i'm perfectly positioned in front of the screen and i just get infuriated when people talk during the movies and i try to create like a flawless experience so as a result like I always go to the bathroom before a movie. 
only twice have I ever had to leave a movie to use the restroom, and and it was this film. <laughs> the first time in my entire life was this film. Wouldn't that depend on the length of the movie? I mean, if something's three hours, that's a long time. Yeah, it must. It it it. I don't think it's quite that long, but but yeah, it, I think the length may have had something to do with it. The only, you know what? The only other film was Blade Trinity. Ooh, ouch! That's a film you get up and walk out of. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a Buffy the Vampire Slayer look subtle. God. Okay, um, so we we talked a good. What I thought about Chronicles of Riddick, like I said, is I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it, but um, I don't I think there's enough interesting things in here, or if you like science fiction or like Vin Diesel, or if you saw the first one, you might as well see the second one. Um, you know, Pitch... I'd, I'd recommend it, but only after after Pitch after Black. After Pitch Black, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. I think that's the, the one thing about Chronicles of Riddick that really disappointed me is in Pitch Black... They kill off so many characters, you really kind of get attached to uh, to Riddick and Jack and... Um, Imam. Imam, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that there isn't much of the the three of them going around having adventures in the, the second one. I sort of wish there was a bit more of that, I guess. Well, it's kind of what Dark Fury fills is that hole right there. It's a nice segue. <laughs> We're going to talk about the whole Dark Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! So I actually uh, sat down and saw Dark Fury before seeing Chronicles of Riddick. And a Dark Fury, for those who don't know, it's, it was a direct-to-video, or direct-to, sorry, I'm old, direct-to-DVD uh, movie <laughs> that's about... It's barely a movie. It's like 35 minutes. Let me look it up. Yeah, it's not too long. It is exactly 35 minutes. Thank you, Mr. Wikipedia. <laughs> Dark Fury, 35 minutes. It takes place right after Pitch Black and I guess before the different video games. Yep. And I actually liked Dark Fury more than Chronicles of Riddick. Well, I, there's there's not much that I can say because I I will admit uh, I have never seen this, and I do have reasons why I've never seen this. Like I, <laughs> it's directed by Peter Chung, who of, of uh, who animation boss will remember is the creator of Eon Flux, yeah. the real <laughs> Eon Flux, the animated, not the shitty live action one. And I, I adore his work. I, I really admire him. But uh, I, I, just my experience, I do not trust multimedia tie-in products. So <laughs> even though, I, oh, a Riddick movie, I like Riddick, I like Peter Chung, but it's a multimedia tie-in. I'm going to keep my hands off. And I still, sadly, have not seen it. It sounds like I should reconsider that. Yeah, I, I think you should. And this is coming from someone who, oh boy, point of contention, I don't really like Aeon Flux. And I don't really like most of what Peter Chung has done, to be honest. But I uh, I did enjoy Dark Fury. Now, granted, part of it's probably from the brand loyalty of the fact that it's Riddick. Uh, but it is still an interesting film in its own right. A short film, I should say. Sure. I mean, you know, Peter Chung, he's famous for very weird-looking character designs. And that still happens in here. But part of what I liked about about Dark Fury is it concentrated on the sort of core three people of Riddick, Imam, and um, Jack. And the story is quick and to the point. There's a lot of weird creepiness about it. I mean, the plot's very simple. (laughs) All it is is that Riddick and the other two get taken aboard by a 
like, I don't know, it's a weird ship where they keep prisoners and all these unsavory types in cryostasis. It's ruled by this lady that is kind of like... Antonia Chillingsworth. <laughs> is that her name? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it's like one step away, but like that's... If you have that name, one day you're going to suffer a tragedy and become a Batman villain. <laughs> well, she does freeze and keep statues. Her, her, her name she is was Chillingsworth. <laughs> she does, but she's a, she's on a spaceship that, you know, is very creepy looking. There's just a lot of creepiness all throughout the movie. There's a neat fight Riddick has between these aliens with these colorful tentacles. Um, it, it's better than I'm making it sound. Trust me. I don't know. I, I think I think it's to the point. It's a really stripped down story, and I think it works for a short. It doesn't try mm-hmm. to do too much exposition in there. Uh, do you have any thoughts on it, uh, Threebo? Well, um, I think as it, it it works in two ways. It works both one as a simple short thirty five minute kind of one shot of here's Riddick fighting somebody. Yeah. Like to be honest, we could completely do without this, and we wouldn't have lost anything. Sure. Because the only real character development that I saw in it was uh, you see Jack uh, at the very end. Oh, spoilers. At the very end, she uh, she shoots at Antonia Chillingsworth. <laughs> and you kind of see her, you know, for a while, she's, you know, she's just a kid. But as she wants to be more like Riddick and she's, you know, trying to emulate Riddick, she eventually becomes violent and, you know, kills the ship. Now she's kind of forced to, but she does. And, uh, and you can tell that's part of the reason why Riddick decides to you know, take off once they get to New Mecca. So, I mean, you have this one little piece of character development inside this kind of generic story of we got captured, we have to fight our way out. And they, you don't need that small little piece, but it's there and it works within the rest of the story. So for that, it's it's great for that, but... It's just this one little piece. You know what I mean? It's not like if you don't sure. see Dark Fury, you won't get it. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it definitely has that little piece in there that kind of goes, oh, okay. You would kind of expect Riddick, being the lone wolf badass that he is, to leave them anyway. But this kind of goes, okay, well, now he actually has a reason. Because he doesn't want Jack to become a killer bad guy person like him, basically. Now, you could infer that just from the way he is in Pitch Black. But, you know, there it is. There's a little piece for you, I guess. Um, it kind of has a little bit of that tie-in feeling to it. At the same time, still a pretty good short in its own right, even if it's not amazing or anything. It's still pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not, as you said, it's not essential. There's some neat visuals. There's a part um, early on where they get took onto this mercenary ship, and they can't. And the the bad guys are trying to get him out of the ship, and all of a sudden there the spaceship burst open, and there's a cloud of um. It looks like marshmallow puff, but I I, I think it's just like uh, whatever comes out of a fire extinguisher. Fire retardant foam. Yeah, it's a a ball of fire retardant foam, and you see these uh. These soldiers trying to kill who's ever in that ball of foam. But you see them being dragged in slowly one by one and then puffs of blood permeating through the ball of foam. It's a pretty neat visual. But um 
So I enjoyed it. It's short. It's to the point. But uh, I, I like the Dark Fury. So uh, let's move on from that briefly onto the uh, Chronicles of Riddick video games, of which there were two. The first one... So far. Uh, yeah, so far, right. The first one, Escape from Butcher Bay, came out in uh, 2004, around the same time the Chronicles of Riddick movie did. And it on the original Xbox, it also came out on the PC later on. And, um, you know, it took several years, but there was a sequel made in 2009, five years later, called Assault on Dark Athena. But that also has a copy of Escape from Butcher Bay on it. And that one's for the uh, the PC, the Macintosh, and the 360 and PlayStation 3. A game like this came out of the Macintosh? Surprisingly, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. It did. There was a Mac version. <laughs> What? Wow! And and it is. I'm gonna have to. I I I'm a, I use a Mac. I have to look that up now. I can have two games from my Macintosh. <laughs> now you can play World of Warcraft and that. <laughs> well, my case is Starcraft. Oh, Starcraft! Oh, Starcraft I, right. I guess that works too. Um, so Chronicles <laughs> of Riddick. Those games are uh, first-person games, although they have third-person segments, and the gameplay reminds me a bit of Metal Gear Solid, and it seemed to really have influenced the Batman Arkham Asylum game that came out somewhat recently. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I've always thought of the game as as kind of... It was a first-person shooter with almost Splinter Cell-type stealth to it, where most of the time you could not hold your own in a fight against multiple enemies. Uh, It was just... You know, as awesome and as powerful as Riddick is, is and is supposed to be, he still can't hold his own when he's got two knives and five guys with guns attacks him, you know? And so a lot of the game was using, you know, stealth, using, uh, you know, sneaking up on enemies and stabbing them in the back with a screwdriver or, you know, all kinds of other random shivs and things like that. And uh, that's kind of what what made the game uh, really entertaining was it was this mix of stealth. I mean, there were still action parts where you'd get a gun and go shoot people, but uh, a lot of it was Riddick being kind of this silent but still powerful kind of killer. And you typically would get a gun but not a whole lot of ammunition for it. Right. So you would get that gun, you'd only have six bullets, and you're like, should I really use it to kill this guy, or maybe I can sneak up behind him and break his neck, or maybe I can cause a distraction and take out the guy take out one guy and back off and wait until his friends disappear and then go and kill him one at a time. I mean, it's it's a pretty unique sort of feeling in a first-person shooter game, which typically you just get unlimited ammo and unlimited refills on health. I mean, you really do feel like you're in danger in the yeah, Reddit love, games. I love any game that, that will... That will sort of like where the solution isn't the most violent one. I love I love a game where you can get some tactics and stealth involved in, in eliminating your foes. And uh, I, I, from what I understand, these games are very good at that. Yeah, the... Uh, a lot of the... Uh, you really had to plan out how you would do stuff like that because you couldn't just... You know, you'd have to... Like I said, it was a lot like Splinter Cell, where which, you know, kind of came out around the same time you know, give or take a year, when, you know, stealth action games really were starting to become the thing. Um, 
and that was kind of a big part. The other thing about the game that I thought was really cool, really almost innovative, and it was kind of one of the first games to really do this well, was there was a lot of first-person melee combat. Uh, you know, whether you were, you know, you're in prison, and a large part of the game, you're not sneaking around killing guards. You're in the prison trying to figure out how to get out, you know, trying to acquire some sort of item or thing that you would need to get out. And, um, you know, you'd get fist fights in the prison or, you know, you'd have somebody would try and shiv you and you'd have to fight them off. And it did first person melee combat really well, which wasn't something we hadn't really seen in games yet. Mm. Um, I mean, there'd been a couple games that have tried it and not done very well. And it was more than just run up and push B to punch someone in the face. It was, you know, you had to block, you had to use different movement combined with attacks to do different combos and things like that. And so, uh, I mean, this is kind of being removed from the fact that it's a Riddick game, but, I mean, as a game by itself, it really stood up and was really well done, and it was very popular. I mean, I knew a lot of people who played it and really enjoyed it. Yeah, when uh, the um, Escape from Butcher Bay came out on the Xbox, wasn't that towards the end of the original Xbox's life cycle? Right, and it is still the best-looking game on the original mm-hmm. Xbox. They pushed that hardware to the limit. Right, and uh, you get a lot of you know neat things with lighting in that game with the shadows and trying to hide in the shadows. That's a big theme in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the plot, I mean, the game just kind of it focuses on... It's set after... Um, I believe it's set before Pitch Black. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, really it's after, set, after? I it's thought it was supposed to bridge the gap between Pitch Black and Chronicles. See, that's what I thought, too. Like, It's been a while since I've played it, but... Um, I think it was actually set before Pitch Black, and uh, because he gets, as I remember, at the end of the game, you get your, you fight your way out of Pitch, uh, out of Butcher Bay, and then he gets, but he still gets captured at the very end of the game, and then you get put on that vest, on that uh, that transport ship that eventually is the ship that crashes in Pitch Black. Oh, okay. And so. Uh, I think that was how it ends. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about it, and I can't remember how the game ends because it's been too many years since well, I've played it. If so, then it's further complicated because the second video game, Assault on Dark Athena, doesn't that like pick off, pick up almost immediately where Butcher Bay left off? It does. Maybe you get captured again? That's what Wikipedia is saying, yeah. I'm not sure. Well, well that's... I used to... Yeah. when. A Dark Athena was coming out. I worked. I worked at a video game store, and we were we were getting lots of promotional material from it. And one of the things they were talking about is how it picks up immediately where Butcher Bay left left off. I'm like, well, wait, I thought something. I thought one of the movies happened immediately after Butcher Bay. How many like prequels are they going to sandwich between established uh, entries? Well, I'll go. I, I since we started talking about this, I went and pulled up a plot summary and. It says that Escape from Butcher Bay is a prequel to Pitch Black. Oh, okay. So I guess what happens is you have Escape from Butcher Bay, and then what happens in Dark Athena, which is basically kind of like Dark Fury, where you just get captured on this big mercenary ship and then escape from the mercenary ship. So uh, you escape from the mercenary ship, and I guess somehow he gets captured sometime before Pitch Black, but after Escape or Assault on Dark Athena. So Riddick might be a badass who's a Furian who has all these uh, abilities. He gets captured an awful lot. (laughs) And it's always by Johns. (laughs) 
Every time. Yeah. Speaking of which, Johns plays a very, uh, a very prominent role in Butcher Bay, and uh, you really get to see some of the character development between them and why they hate each other so much, which you see, you know, come out in Pitch, in Black. Pitch Black. Yeah. So I mean, that does make more sense that this game is a prequel to Pitch Black because, I mean, at the very beginning of the game, when you get brought to Butcher Bay, uh, uh, he gets. Uh, it is Johns that's handing him over, and Johns is the one who's captured him. And then as Riddick escapes uh, the first time, uh, Johns actually captures him again, and he gets locked up in the uh, higher security area of Butcher Bay and then breaks out of there again. And at the very end of the game, there's Johns. So, I mean, well, Johns is a constant character in the game. Well, I guess... I guess that does then explain how they were able to do that shaman gives him mirror eyes scene. <laughs> right. Well, it says it says in this plot summary that I'm looking at that, uh, and I remember this from the game where you uh, you're like walking through a like a ventilation shaft or something and it's dark and all of a sudden this voice just starts talking to you and um, all and it says something about you know you've been blind or something like that. And then you all of a sudden you magically have your eye shine, hmm. and and there's really no explanation other than there's a voice and now you can see in the dark. So, once again, this this plot line is just so confusing and hard to keep track of. <laughs> sure, but I have to say, you know, if you like Riddick and um, you like you like video games and that sort of thing, you probably would enjoy the um, Assault on Dark Athena, which has both Riddick video games on it. Mm-hmm. I, was, I remember playing it last year. That game was really good. Yeah, and I, yeah, actually, that that's that's really awesome though that they they pumped up the graphics on Butcher Bay and put it as a feature on Dark Athena. Uh-huh. I think that's yeah. great. We get the classic game with the new version. Yeah. Well, and the reason for that is on the Xbox 360, not all Xbox uh, original Xbox games are compatible. Oh, I know. So yeah, no, oh, yeah, that can be frustrating sometimes figuring out which old Xbox games you can play in the newer system. So I mean, yeah, it's very nice that they did that. I was able to get a copy of Assault on Dark Athena. I think it was just the PlayStation Three version for like fifteen dollars. Um, so I think you can find it pretty cheaply. I know I've seen the X, the three sixty version at uh, GameStop, and you can. Let me see. Yeah, and I guess a website where you can get it on the Macintosh is called Direct to Mac, or sorry, Deliver to Mac. So who knows? But it's, it's... so my explanation is going nowhere. Um, so we've talked a lot about Chronicles of Riddick and uh, the video games and the Dark Fury spinoff animated short, and we've already covered about if we'd recommend these things or not. So I think we should just uh, close off with the sequel cast ending. This is Uncle... Well... Yes? Oh, I'm sorry, yes. Were you going to say something? Well, there, there is something. I've, I've been wanting to get this out. Okay. <laughs> the entire <laughs> podcast. Just, just to, to just, just find, you know, to just kind of take my geek on and just ride that rail to its logical conclusion. <laughs> And when I say this, understand that I'm saying this with no guile or sarcasm or any offense intended, but The Chronicles of Riddick 
is the greatest Warhammer 40,000 movie ever made. <laughs> you know, nothing but love to the, to the makers of Damnatus, but, but Chronicles of Riddick is the greatest 40K movie ever made. Well, there hasn't been a 40K movie, has there? Well, this is where... Wow, I, I feel... A, I, you know what? I feel a supplementary episode coming on. <laughs> because there is a discussion to be had there. Because really? the answer because is yes and no, and yes and no. I know nothing of this, but I am a huge 40K fan. So you're going to have to let me in on some knowledge here. Okay. Well, um, in the uh, late 80s, well, going back to the beginning, in the late 80s slash early 90s, uh, and what's great is you can go to, uh, there's a special effects house called Nimbus Studios. If you go to their website, they have lots of examples of their work, and a lot of their work looks suspiciously, that they have as examples, a lot of it looks suspiciously like Space Marine equipment from Warhammer 40K, and like a 40K Orc skull and whatnot. Well, that's because in late 80s, early 90s, uh, that special effects studio uh, worked with Games Workshop, and what they ended up producing, what they were producing was basically a showreel at least the, the stories I've heard is what they tried to produce was a show reel that they were going to try to shop around as part of like trying to maybe get a, a 40 to, to, to show off the 40 K property as something that could be made into a movie or a TV show. And what they produced was a short film called inquisitor uh, about, which has some really shitty computer animation, but that was as good as it was going to look at the time. I mean, this is like before Babylon 5 type CGI. Uh, and it's just a real simple story, almost too simple, where an Inquisitor and some Dark Angel Space Marines you know, go to a planet to look at an alien relic. And it's boring, and the effects aren't that good. But at the end of it, once again, to show off the possibilities, they had three fake trailers and the fake trailers they made were mind-blowing. Uh, they used to give the video out at UK Games Day. Uh, they don't anymore, and supposedly the company's kind of embarrassed by it and doesn't want to talk about it. But uh, it has been posted to uh, on YouTube. I think just search for, like, a 40K Inquisitor, and you should be able to find uh, find it. And when you can skip just to the last, I believe it's in four parts, skip to the end because the the trailers are the only part that's worth seeing, and the trailers are awesome. You get to see, like, orc puppets and animatronic tyranids and full-body oh. Terminator armor. It looks great. It, um, I went digging through some of my 40K websites and uh, found a little bit of history on it, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I will just read from this wonderful small paragraph. In What's the uh, The Lexiconum. Oh, Amber 40K Wiki. Uh, in 1996, for the 25th anniversary Games Day, Games Workshop released for limited sale a short movie entitled Inquisitor. The movie was created using clips and footage that were created as a pitch to Games Workshop for a movie deal. There were also trailers for two other films, Hive Infestation and Blood for the Blood God. Uh, hive Infestation pitted Space Wolf Terminators against a Gene Stealer cult infestation of a hive world. And Blood for the Blood God was a second trailer and portrayed orcs and dark angel marines fighting along with an Inquisitor, much in the style of the epic 40,000 video game cutscenes. Um, and apparently it 
Games Workshop will flag anybody who posts it on YouTube. <laughs> That's what it also says here. So, well, it has is... stopped the guy I know about, but I will not reveal anything. Well, I'm going to have to check this out because I had no idea this existed. So I may go look at this right after we end here. <laughs> yeah, but, but as I said, it's yes, no, yes, no. So, so there's that. Well, um, in uh, the mid mid nineties, uh, Games Workshop's Black Library imprint started uh, publishing comic books. It published Warhammer Monthly, and it had you know, serialized Warhammer and Warhammer 40k comics. And there was a really good one called Blood Quest about some Blood Angel Space Marines on you know an epic quest throughout the galaxy to recover a MacGuffin and restore their honor. And it went on forever, but it was one of the most popular segments in in the uh, in, in the comic. So popular that a film deal was made to adapt it to, to the big screen. And regrettably, like it was in production for like I I want to say seven years because I remember following the updates from like night from like like nineteen ninety seven or 98 all the way through when I graduated from college. Um, and what, and it was supposed to be a fully CGI movie. There was even a contest where they were going to have fans send in headshots and the winners of the contest, space Marines, background space Marines were going to be given their faces. Well, all this resources was sunk into it. And to the best of my knowledge, all that was produced was, two, maybe 15, 30-second pieces of demo footage, one featuring an orc cruiser fighting a uh, an imperial ship in orbit around a planet, lots of explosions, and uh, an animation that showed off, uh, the sh- a test animation that showed off footage of an orc dreadnought, and a uh, and a very low resolution trailer, like without even the characters like texture mapped, and the movements were very very awkward. Um, which that I believe was leaked. I don't believe that ever showed up on the official website. And finally, the project just got canned because there was no there was just no progress made on it in so many years. Well, now we come to the next yes on the list. Um, the actually, you know what? I'll save this for last. Apparently, there is an ultramarine, a movie about the ultramarines in development right now, mm-hmm. but not much hard information has come out. And I know at one point this ultramarines video game. At one point, there was some speculation that this was just people getting confused with the ultramarine video game and what they were seeing were cutscenes. But at least from the rumors I've heard, that's not the case. There, that that the deal is going through. And Dan Abinett, one of the main writers on the 40K comics and 40K novels, is supposed to be, he is confirmed as working on a script. That's the best that, news of all, because he writes the best books. Uh, yes. That's in my um, opinion. Some, some, some listeners may be able to tell by my voice that I've read some of those books. <laughs> there's some good ones, there's some bad ones. And the bad ones are real bad. But the good ones are real fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Dan Abnett does does write the ones I prefer uh, most assuredly. Well, anyway, between between Inquisitor and this p- possible Ultramarines movie, there's uh, Damnatus. What Damnatus is is some very very ambitious fans in Germany decided that they were going to make their own 40k fan film, and what they created is really a professional level quality feature film. About some uh, about some Imperial guardsmen and uh, psyker 
in, investigating cult activity on a hive on a hive world. The movie's all in German, but that only helps it. The special effects are actually really good. The costumes are amazing. The props are amazing. They do a lot with digital effects to create the hive world. I mean, it's it's amazing what these people did just with the resources they were able to gather together. Uh, the problem is. Um, this has to do. This apparently has to do with European Union or at least German law, and I'll admit I'm not. I'm, I don't necessarily understand the final points, the finer points of this. But uh, Games Workshop has barred them from not only. They were the plan was to just give it away on the internet for free, and Games Workshop has barred them from even doing that. Uh, what they have done. Like they like they aren't even supposed to screen this for friends, because uh, Games Workshop has, has threatened them with lawsuits. Because uh, what it is is because of the the wording of of the intellectual property laws in in in, in Germany, because it's a film they wrote, they directed, and they produced, even though it's based on Games Workshop's intellectual property the creators own the complete rights to the film and its contents. That and so it, pardon? I'm just saying that that probably would not fly with GW too well. Yeah, yeah. So so as a result, it creates a circumstance where there is a Warhammer 40K, I won't say product because it was never meant to be for sale and isn't for sale, but it's it's a a Warhammer it's a big in-demand Warhammer 40K thing that Games Workshop does not own. And a lot of people have speculated that it that that if it did get a, if it did get distributed in any way, it could create it could create a legal loophole where, where anyone could create Warhammer forty K stuff. Now I think that's pretty exaggerated, but um, it's it's re- it's real unfortunate because these were some dedicated fans and their efforts I really feel do deserve recognition. They working by themselves over just a few years, did something that Games Workshop hasn't been able to do in, in 30. Right. I mean, the, that whole fan fiction, fan movie thing is pretty interesting. What uh, Microsoft did for the Halo series, which I thought was pretty interesting, their legal team wrote up something and said, you know, you want to do a, a fan Halo Halo comic book, Halo movie, whatever, a short story, go for it. But A, you can't sell it, which is fair, and B, anything you do will be considered part of the Halo uh, canon. And because Microsoft Microsoft owns the rights to Halo, if we make something that kind of resembles your short story you made, well, it already falls into that canon, so you can't sue us. <clears throat> so that is a view where they allow fans to do fan products. But, that, you know, it's weird, but I think that seems like a more... that seems like a reasonable way to look at things. It's just so with computers and with all these things now that fans didn't have access to before the uh, fan movies and those sort of things are a lot more common than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, the D- damn is it's, if you're, if you're a fan, it's, it's well worth seeing. Um, I, I, for reasons I really can't go into, uh, you can find this movie, but you got to look hard. Cool. Well, speaking of uh, hard looks, we've taken a hard look at the Chronicles of Riddick with a... Uh, <laughs> that and a whole lot more. That and a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot more, yes. But we've learned some valuable <laughs> lessons. We've learned valuable lessons along the way. So uh, thank you uh, again, King Threebo, for coming on the sequel cast. 
I had a great time. Uh, sure. Well, yeah, we got to have you on again sometime. Maybe you know if this if this if, if the third Riddick movie does come out, you know, maybe we sure. we can uh, we can do like a live live recording of the <laughs> premiere. <laughs> That could be funny. Indeed. I would uh, love to come to the Animu cast, but I wouldn't know what I'd be doing there. Although, that didn't <laughs> stop me from going on the fail cast. That's true. It was disastrous. Hey, if you ever want to talk about Guyver or, or Monster or anything like that, I'll, I'll be willing to talk about it on Animu cast. Oh, hell yeah. So, uh, Animu cast, what's the website again? Animucast.com. And the, um, you, you, there was another podcast you were involved in? Oh, uh, yes, uh, watchplayread.com we have a weekly podcast called the red light roundtable i'm also a part of that you can just find that at watchplayread.com excellent and in case you don't know right now you're listening to the sequel cast which is at sequelcast.com just in case you forgot in case you forgot we uh yeah, have, right. we have a facebook page that i properly set up so that and twitter and twitter yeah twitter.com/sequelcast all the new media until next time this is uncle milkshake Thrasher. And King Threebow. Same. Oh, shit, what can I'll you I'll kill you with this teacup. <laughs> That's I can't believe you talked about that scene. Yeah, I totally forgot about that scene. He, he says, what you do? I'm going to kill you with this teacup. Then Riddick fucking kills him with the teacup. That is badass. <laughs> but is there tea in that teacup or is it an empty teacup? Well, that's true. Is it a teacup if it doesn't have tea in it? Mm, oh. Philosophy. That's philosophy. When we talk about such deep philosophy as that is when we cover the Matrix movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be covered in scrolling green text. Yep. All right. Uh, so have a uh, good night, fellas. The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com